they're actually showing that a good mentee mentor really have to not only be vulnerable with each other, but to share our strengths and our limitations. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast, friends. I'm Kim Skorupski here at Hopkins with one of our podcast frequent flyers, Dr. Rachel Salas. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Kim. Well, thanks for being back, Rachel. Those of you who are new to the podcast, you'll want to check out episode number 92, um, almost a couple of years ago now, where Dr. Salas talked about strengths-based psychology. You may have heard of the Clifton Strengths Inventory. We spent a nice amount of time talking about John Clifton in the 90s doing in this, this Gallup process and, and organization about what are our strengths. And Dr. Salas led us through a really interesting conversation about how she's developed a whole program here at Hopkins, helping everyone, all team members, faculty, staff, even understanding patients and our strengths and how they contribute to our our well-being and our success. And Dr. Salas, please, before I start yammering away, tell everybody again, remind um, everyone in podcast land, who you are here at Hopkins, and then let's just get right into the the strengths continuity. Yeah. Hi, hi everyone. And thanks, Kim, for inviting me back. I I am today your local sleep neurologist. I'm a professor at Hopkins. (laughs) Your local sleep. I love it. And, And you, you, that's so, everybody, this is very humble of Dr. Rachel Salas, S-A-L-A-S, because not only is she like, super creative and innovative, but she's like a cartoonist. She does like all these really super cool interdisciplinary things. So she's being very humble, but definitely check out at Rachel Salas MD and rsalas3 at jhmi.edu. But I'm going to let her take it away and I'm going to try to be really quiet, which is going to be a challenge. Go ahead, Rachel. I think a lot has happened since we last spoke, Kim. Um, I have gotten on the coaching bandwagon, and I think it's much needed in academia, uh, not just for faculty, but for residents, fellows, nursing students, medical students, everything. I've been just really focused on bringing coaching to those who need it. um, And those that don't know they need it, I'm trying to get the word out on how coaching and really a strengths-based psychology, in my case, has really just, just been transformative for me. Um, I'm working with my team. We're developing a, a professional development program through the School of Education with a grant that I was um, awarded. And we're going to be implementing a lot of uh, coaching and you know, definitely a strengths-based approach, but also building a community. And really, you know, I think, I think what I'm emphasis or my emphasis now is really kind of trying to find how we can leverage even peer coaches and how to kind of move that so we can support each other, not only so that our career can progress, but also that our, our wellness, our well-being and, you know, kind of bringing elements from my kind of sleep and wellness background um, into the work I'm doing in education. That makes so much sense. I mean, I've we talk about group coaching as well. And and you know that the WAG principle, the writing accountability groups is kind of based, that structure is based around the group accountability and holding each other accountable to writing goals and writing behaviors. And so I think there's, you're so right. There's so much power in 
the group network, this, this whole tribe of getting, and now more than ever, uh, where oh. so many of us, first academic medicine is isolating anyway, before the pandemic. Now you, mm-hmm. you throw the pandemic on top of this, just a little sidebar, of course, I always have a going to, here we go off track a bit, but um, here at Hopkins tomorrow, doesn't matter tomorrow in podcast land, but we have faculty orientation and I surveyed the new faculty. We have about 300 some faculty in the school of medicine who start every year and we're doing an orientation for them. And I surveyed them. And one of the questions was what kinds of topics would you like addressed at orientation or what are you curious about? And I was surprised about a third mentioned, how do I meet people? How do I network with people? How do I, I I'm having a hard time just kind of like running into people in my own division or my own department. And I, I read those and I started thinking, are you kidding me? How is, how is that even possible? Then I kind of had to actually stop and realize, right, oh, so many faculty who joined within the past year or so joined during the pandemic. So there is no hanging out in the lounge or running into each other at the water fountain or at the coffee bar or at the coffee place in the hospital. Everybody's purposely not being close to each other. So you know, people are starting a new job at a new institution, newly minted, perhaps academic person, and they're all alone. And it's to me, so it's even so much more apparent that we do need a tribe of people. So I love that you're, you know, really getting into the peer coaching and this group concept, but tell us more about it, because I think it's just fascinating. You're fascinating anyway, but how you go from sleep disorders to strengths, and then to coaching and all of this kind of evolution fast is fascinating. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that ha, has drawn me to strengths is like, you know, we're, we're constantly being told, you know, the things that we need to do better, right? You need to increase your, your RBUs, you need to get more publications, you need to do whatever, whatever, whatever. And the strengths-based approach is was a breath of fresh air because it kind of identifies like what you're naturally good at. And the idea is it opens a path, a new starting point to really kind of progress in your professional development and work towards like, let's see what I'm already kind of naturally good at and let's, you know, sharpen it. And, and that has been helpful. And then the next step is at the end of the day, people just want to be recognized for who they are and they want to be heard. And, and I think that, you know, as, as uh, my partner in crime, uh, Dr. Charlene Gamaldo, who's also a, a certified strengths coach and, and a life coach, we've started a CME slash CE program here at Hopkins for faculty, you know, within the School of Medicine, but also beyond. It's, it's, it's a new program that's um, open to all of Hopkins and beyond. Um, and people are coming and it's it's providing a safe place to kind of learn a little bit more about yourself, really see how you can fit in with others in your team, in the healthcare team, wherever you're practicing, wherever, whatever you're doing, even at home. And it really just kind of lets people the opportunity to shine. And, and, and you know, and kind of going on what you were saying, you know, the, the accountability part, I think is, is key. And, and that's one of the reasons I'm focused on that for my new professional development program that we're doing for uh, health professions educators which is really to let people know you're not alone. And a lot of the things that you're struggling with, the imposter phenomenon, you know, the, you know, at times feeling overwhelmed and, or, you know, you didn't get that award or whatever the case is, is to have somebody there that understands and is going to support and see you for who you are 
and really, you know, kind of just build that community. I think it's so important. Mm -hmm. You talked last time, I'm looking at my notes here. And again, the Clifton Strengths, you might want to Google this if you've not heard yet about it, but Dr. Salas shared that she, her strengths are individuation, strategic adaptability, arranger, activator. And I'm saying these words just so that you have a sense of what are they talking about strengths? Like, what do you mean? The bicep strength, the strength of what? And my strengths are input, strategic, futuristic, achiever, intellection. So there, how many, how many are there? How many? 34, right? 34. So you get through this um, assessment tool, you learn again, like what you're saying, your innate top strengths. And you also pointed out last time in episode number 92, which I was shocked to find out that in the literature, feeling valued, you're six times more likely to be engaged, you said. Mm -hmm. When people are um, working in their, I guess, in their, uh, the groove or in the, in the flow of their feeling valued for their strengths and working on their strengths, three times more likely to rate a higher quality of life. So there's literature around this and it just makes so much common sense. First of all, like you said, feeling like you have value and meaning and purpose, but um, it's not so obvious, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about how if faculty members are listening to this right now and thinking, is this just, this just another Myers-Briggs? Is this just another one of those EQ tests, Enneagram kind of things? What is, what makes this so special? Yeah, I think um, it's, it's, it's just another tool, right? And, you know, there's a lot of assessments out there and, and I chose to get certified in this particular one, but I'm using several other ones now really to get a, a, a better you know, perspective on my, my dimensions of my, you know, who I am and, and, um, and, and what's important to me, what my values are. There's all these other things that play a role. And so for me, strengths was really kind of my starting point, right? It was just something to react to. And no matter who you are, whether or not you're going to, you know, identify some challenges with strengths-based psychology, that's fine because nothing's perfect, but it's a starting point. And, you know, no matter who you are, chances are you're going to apply for a new position somewhere or a new role. And, you know, more often than not, you're going to be asked, like, what are you, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And so for me, you know, when I found my top five, first of all, individualization, my number one, I thought, I didn't even recognize that as a strength. I I literally thought everyone had that. Just like, what do you mean? So, you know, individualization is kind of like the person who I'm really good at finding the right person for the right role or job. In fact, we've uh, utilized this skill set in in the sleep center. Um, and Charlene will have me kind of do the initial vetting of, you know, interviewees that, you know, and, and then if they make it past me, you know, then she knows like, OK, Rachel saw something here, you know, so probably bringing in a little of my strategic And so we've been able to really leverage not only our own strengths, but the strengths of our team. And I've just found it so fascinating because one of my struggles uh, was the activator. I I think I talked about this last time that it was, it was actually, I was shocked that that wasn't even a strength because I always found it to be a weakness. And the reason was it was dialed up too much. It was dialed too high. And so when I put some intention and really developed it, just like, you know, if you want a six pack, right, you can't just wake up with that. You got to go to the gym. You got to eat right. Um, So I worked on my activator 
And wow, like I was just blown away on how much success that came by me doing that. So can you pause a second? Tell people what is activator? Um, Mm -hmm. What do you mean by my activator? What is activator and why was it too strong? So that's because an interesting twist on our strengths can be overplayed or overdone. Right. And I think that's one of the, the big messages when you look at a strengths-based approach, right? Not everybody is like, oh, she, these are your strengths. It's like, no, these are your natural talents. And the idea is you put some intention and you develop those, then they can become strengths. So for me, the activator, which is my top, it's my number five, right? An activator, again, another word I probably would have never used if somebody said, what are your strengths? I would probably not said activator, but activators are people that can get things going, right? Like we can get things started. I'm really good about getting other people very motivated, inspired. I just, I'm just good at it. If you told me not to do that, I couldn't help it. Right. (laughs) So me, you know, kind of being at Hopkins in academia, you know, when you have a new idea, you want to go, or at least I do. And I've, you know, for a long time was told like, no, we got to have these meetings. You got to get this approval. You got to, you know, present it here. And it's like, what? So I was getting drained, but once I learned more about the activator and how to really leverage it, how to understand it, I learned the word pilot, which seems very obvious and simple, but now I'm like, hey, we're just gonna do a pilot. People (laughs) are like, oh, you're just gonna do a pilot. Oh, that's okay, yeah, just do a pilot. I'm like, if it doesn't work, it was a pilot. But if it works, I'm gonna have some data and maybe I can apply for a grant or I can write it up. And people are like, oh yeah. So I've learned instead of feeling drained all the time by being told, no, 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 no. Now I'm like, hey, let's just do a pilot. It's easy. Let's just see what happens. Let's just go with it. And then, you know, you can hear my adaptability and my arranger, my other two strengths that are tapping in there um, and just being very flexible. And, And this has really been those my strengths have been so helpful during this pandemic, just being quick to pivot, learn, mess up learn from that, move on, keep going. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're talking about this, the basic principle that we always talk about in any kind of development context or leadership development, that knowing ourselves is the beginning of all wisdom. You know, that Socratic principle, was it Aristotle? I never know if it's uh, Socrates or Aristotle. One of these um, old guys said, knowing ourselves is the beginning of all wisdom. And that is the fundamental question, right? Of who am I? Why am I here? And so I like that you emphasize this is another tool. And it's not just a matter of, oh, I'm an outgoing person. Oh, I'm an extrovert. Oh, I'm, you know, um, I'm I'm a, a feeler or I'm a thinker. Done. Checklist. Pull out your identification badge and just show people these words. You said that it's being aware and mindful of what does that mean because this is something foremost in my ability or predisposition, now it's that's not enough because you can't just say, well, that's just the way I am. You know, you know how I am. Um, that's just the way God may be. Rather, what can I, how can I maximize this? And where do I mess up when I'm doing this? And you said something else that was so interesting and important is that I thought everybody had that. And that's where I went wrong early in my career too, when I would get so short, I'm very impatient. So I would be very brusque and abrasive and short and 
terse. And I knew I was coming out that way because I could almost feel my face going because I would get frustrated that I thought people were almost being purposely uh, aggressive or passive aggressive with me. Like, isn't it so obvious until someone actually took me aside and said, Kim, it's not, it's not obvious. I can see you getting angry and impatient. Why are you feeling that way? And, And I would always feel like, well, I feel like I'm being threatened. Like people are purposely trying to dissuade me or frustrate me. And it really was a kind of a, I want to say a throat punch, like the current popular culture. It was like, like a whammo for me to go, whoa, you, you mean that's not obvious to people? And they're like, no, of course not. You just kind of, you, you're way ahead of everybody because you've been thinking about this. You need to slow your roll, take a breath. And so what you described in your storytelling was this, the similar kind of recognition that reframe, call it a beta test, a pilot test. And now all of a sudden people are more amenable rather than us steamrolling going, I know darn well it's going to work, <laughs> but I have to put myself, that's leadership, right? That emotional intelligence, learning not only ourselves and how to manage ourselves, but learning how other people function and how to manage those relationships. Yeah, no, I, I, I perfect. I, you're saying everything. I mean, it's like we have the same, we're on the same wavelength um, and it, Harvard Business Review had an article um, about the fallacy of ease, and it talks about these two things. The one part is what I did with individualization, which was I assumed everyone else has it. So what am I doing to my myself, right? I'm not giving myself credit for being talented in that area, right? So you're just like, oh, everybody must have it. And so you assume. And the problem with that is that if you assume everyone's like that, for one, you're not giving yourself that recognition and that acknowledgement. But number two, then I might be too, too, like, I may expect too much in that category from others. Like, oh, Kim, you like, why don't you see this? Like, why, like, why can't you do this or what, you know? And, 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 and so that's not playing into what, the strengths of others are right. Right. So when, when I feel myself, you know, getting like you, you know, you were saying like impatient, cause that's the other, you're an achiever. I'm an activator. They're very similar. I want to get things started. I may not necessarily finish it because my strategic or something else might come in. I'm like, okay, I have new information. That was just a pilot anyway, who cares? Right. But the achiever, you're like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not only going to I'm going to finish and I'm going to be number one. Right. So you can see how they complement, Right. But you can see how they're a little different. But one of the things that was really helpful with the strengths based approach is it's not personal. When I when 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 somebody's asking me questions, well, why did you do this? Well, why didn't you do that? Or did you think about this? Or did you look at this? I used to take it personal. I'm like, why are they asking me these questions? How about, you know, I'm the, the boss here. Like, just go with it. Right. And now it's just like, oh, that person is like a learner. They just want to know. Or like you like input with your number one being input. Input, you know, likes a lot of information, right? Like wants to get that, knows something about a lot of things, right? And so now it's just, it's it's really helped with my overall well-being because it's not personal. Now, sometimes it is personal, right? Sometimes it is. But a lot of times it's not It's the stories we tell on ourselves and we tell ourselves stories all day long. We said that, make assumptions. And then we make these assumptions, which this is, goes back to grammar school of what we learned about what an assumption, making an assumption makes a 
an ass out of you and me. I remember learning that as a young girl going, oh, they said a bad word, but that's how you use A-S-S-U-M. And I remember being young and learning that and never really understanding it until I've gotten older and go, yeah, we we make assumptions all day long because it's efficient, right? It's the way our, your neurologist, how our brain needs to go to resolution. And so we put things in boxes and go, yes, that is a danger. That is a friend. That is a foe. And the same thing. Wow. Why is he being a jerk to me? Or why are they questioning me? I, after all, I just published on this. Are you, you're doubting me. And you're right. We, we make these assumptions that, oh, they think I'm not good enough. They think I'm not smart. Or I think I'm not good. I think I'm not smart. So the stories we tell ourselves all day long say something about us. And then inevitably, then that's going to project if I'm judging myself so harshly and, and having such a high standard for myself, that's inevitably going to go push out to everybody else. And then that's where a lot of the, these relationships will fall apart, right? That we, we um, because of those assumptions. Yeah. I mean, I think imposter phenomenon is totally tied to this, you know, because if you assume that oh, everyone must be good at this. You know, everyone must be like me. Then again, you're not going to be recognized. You're always going to say, well, then it was luck, right? It was just, it's luck when you get stuff and and you can't, we can't control luck, right? But if we say, no, I got that recognition or I got that paper, you know, done, or I got that project accomplished. And it was because of my strengths or, or because of the team and how we leveraged our strengths together. And I love that the strengths-based approach really celebrates diversity, you know, beyond gender, race, ethnicity, our past experiences, our skill sets, and, you know, in, talking from an interprofessional healthcare team, it celebrates individuals by who they are, what they're naturally good at. And I just love that. And it also really shows us how we need each other. We need people. We, humans, we're social beings, but yeah, you know, you got to develop yourself and that's important, but how do you fit with other people and how can you work together to really have better outcomes and, you know, ultimately in healthcare, have better patient care, higher value care. Two things I want to get from you before our time is up. And one is I want to learn about the coaching. I don't know if I'm going to say get high level, like your philosophy, but how you see the coaching playing out operationally. And I would also love for you to share a story of how the strengths um, tool can change, say, a clinical practice or a a research lab environment. So I'm imagining that there are new folks out here in Faculty Factory podcast land who didn't listen to episode number two with Dr. Rachel Salas and don't know anything about the Clifton strengths and say, well, I'm not sold. This sounds like this is nice. It sounds great. But practically... I work at a busy clinic. Um, I'm seeing patients all day long and I don't have time to stop and, and, you know, reconfigure things. Or I work in a really busy lab. We're trying to get grants. We're trying to write papers. We're processing cell cultures. We don't have time for all this stuff. Can you like paint a picture for someone listening of how this tool might amplify the work being that happens in the clinic or in the lab? Yeah, so I think, that a lot of us have multiple roles, but one of the roles that frequently comes up, especially as a faculty, but you can say the same for you know anybody, whatever career you are, you can always serve as a mentor for someone else, right? And so in the mentorship role, and, and you can even use mentorship 
even as a clinician with your patients, right? So imagine that you, somebody walks into the room I'll just use a patient because I'm using this tool with some of my patients. So a patient walks into the room. I have a certain amount of time that I need to see what are the issues that patients having in terms of their sleep. We all know that life plays a role in how someone sleeps, right? If you're stressed out, if you're worried, if you're, you know, environment, like there's all these other things in life that plays a role. And and part of that is, do, do people have goals? Do they have you know, what are their values? What are, what are their past experiences? All these things factor in. So imagine that you're pressed for time. You know that there's this big elephant in the room and that big elephant is, is huge, right? And it's impacting, but we can't talk about that elephant because we can only talk about your sleep, right? But if I walk into that room and I already know my patient, that person that's sitting in front of me, and this is getting, I'm going to, uh, you know, throw a little recogni- uh, recognition to uh, Dr. Uh, Roy Ziegelstein, our vice dean for um, education at Hopkins and a cardiologist, but coined the term personomics, really, really getting to know that person sitting in front of you. And while I might not know all of my patients' past experiences, what, what their worries, what their concerns, stressors are, if I at least know what their top five talents are, maybe their strengths, if I can kind of go into that and I can at least give them the information the way that they would probably prefer. For example, if somebody's a learner, that patient's probably going to want some resources. They're going to want material that they can take home and read, right? They're going to want to know like what's the latest and greatest informations out there for this particular diagnosis. Perhaps my patient is high in analytical. They're going to want to know the data. I can't just tell them the report says blah, blah, blah. They're going to want to know the numbers. They're going to want to know what this means, what that means. You know, so so that already has allowed me to better connect with the person in front of me. And so if you apply that example to your postdoc, your pre-med student, your, you know, your peer, whoever that person is that's seeking, you know, advice, connection from you. It just helps you kind of cater to and personalize things a little bit more. And I've just noticed for me, a lot of my interactions, not only with patients that I've used this with, but also with my mentees have been more authentic and more genuine. And and there's literature out there to support this. If you look at the, um, you know, mentorship in STEM, they're actually showing that a good mentee mentor really have to not only be vulnerable with each other, but to share our strengths and our limitations. And that's where that human connection is. So it's really just helped me have more genuine, authentic relationships, no matter who the person I'm interacting with. That is beautiful. Tell me, uh, just clarify the limitation. So I can, my brain can easily envision a scenario, a dyad with a patient, a peer, a colleague, a mentor, a trainee, where I have put myself in the mindset of what is this other person's strengths and we we build on each other's strengths and I lift that up and I encourage and I inspire. Where does the limitations of me and them come up? How do we delicately dance around, not ignore, but not go, go dark with the limitations, you know? So where, how do you get that balance? Talk a little bit more about the limitations side of it. Yeah. And I think that's, this is where coaching has been, you know, helpful, right? So just really understanding, you know, like, and it's difficult as a physician, right? A lot of times people are coming to, 
to me for advice, like you tell me what to do, right? And so switching from that doctor to the to the mentor, which is different, like this is, you know, have you thought about this? Like giving examples versus coaching, really allowing that individual, no matter who they are, the patient, the student, whoever, really being a mirror for them so that, that you could ask them questions where you're not telling them what to do, but it, you're allowing them to kind of process and kind of come up with their own solutions. So I think one of the, the potential pitfalls we need to worry about, and for the naysayers out there against the strengths-based approach, because it's like, oh, everything's so positive. You're like rose-colored glasses and da 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 And it's like, no, like there's weaknesses, but the weaknesses are not what your bottom, you know, of the 34 are. That's just those bottom ones. That's just not who you are. You, you can try it. You can do those things. Of course, we can all like do things we don't not, not, are not naturally good at. But the weaknesses are actually when we have our strengths dialed way too high or dialed too low. So it's important for me when I'm you know, talking with individuals and I get a sense like on my end, am I getting impatient? Why am I getting impatient or annoyed? And it's like, okay, maybe my activator is dialed up too much. Let me bring that back. Or if it's on the other side, if it's the person that I'm interacting with and they have something dialed up too low. And, and this is where I think the, the training and coaching helps me to kind of ask those questions. Well, why is that? You know, tell me a little bit more. Why do you feel that way? Why are you and getting them to kind of process and seeing, wow, I, I am dialed up too much here. So this is like this top strength for me you know, cause I have a lot going on. I'm very overwhelmed. I'm stressed and it's dialed too high and here's why. And so then you can kind of unpack that. Mm, mm, I love it. So that is, that is exactly it's perfect. The way you've kind of gone into this coaching and that is what good coaches do. We're, we're thought partners, right? Mm-hmm. Thought partners. And that is the, the nuance between the mentoring. You should think about ABC versus what do you think you should think about? And can you just get into something one of my struggles as I got certified as coaching was almost, this is maybe, I don't know what, this is a strength of mine that's overplayed where I'll be almost like biting my fingernails going, oh my gosh, it's so obvious to me what you should do. How can I just like put my head through the monitor and just, just grab you and say, please just do this and you'll be fine. How did that, so it's kind of a limitation thing or that, that um, subtlety how when you are with a patient or a trainee or a coaching client how does a coach navigate that frustration where you almost like a red light going i see it i see it i see it the train's coming and they're not seeing it well our thought partnering is done time's up today good luck avoiding that train yeah kim it's so funny there's actually a video it's it's actually it's on youtube it's called it's it's not about the nail the n-a-i-l and it's like that person with the nail and 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 the lady is like you know i take off my sweaters and they get snagged and i have this headache and she's like and it hurts right here she's pointing to this big nail that's in her forehead and and it's a great video if you haven't seen it because like as a coach you 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 definitely experience what you were just saying right you're like what why can't you if you just did this right <laughs> like take would, the nail out of your head take the nail out right um, but I think you know it 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 unless that person comes to that conclusion on their own like I think that's where the the big transformations really happen it's for them to identify whatever the issue is 
and what the solutions are, because if, if, if we go and tell them, right, then it, it's just them not processing. And if something doesn't go right or the way they thought, you know, then, you know, you can build up issues um, with resentment or guilt. You know, there's other things that can kind of play out. So it's really um, important for, I think, the word coach. And, and I know I've had conversations with you offline about, like, is coach really the best word the way we use it in academia? Um, you know, you think about a surgeon, for example, or a sports co coach, like they're actually focused on skills, right? But I think the way that you and I and many others, um, not just at Hopkins, but outside too, we're, we're, it's a professional development um, aspect. And so like, we're not really coaching in that way. You're really trying to help people really become who they're becoming. So now we're going to get philosophical, but you know, really kind of starting to guide and let them really just be more of them and pulling that out and getting them to like question, well, why do I feel this way? Why do I think like that? Why was I upset? Why, what, what, what happens when I am in the flow that you were talking about earlier as we started? Um, and those, that's a journey. And so I really see myself as trying to kind of step back and, and over time I've gotten better at trying to like point at the nail for them and letting them just asking those questions. I mean, it really is a skill set. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm really ecstatic that people in, in, in academia, especially in healthcare are really like go looking into like the benefits of coaching and how we can really make this a big cultural change so that people feel supportive. They feel like I'm not somebody, my mentor is not trying to make them make me them. You know, they're really just trying to help me on my journey of who I'm, what I'm becoming and what my definitions of success and happiness are and what my values are and not forcing it down, you know, my throat. You're so right, because I keep thinking when I've had so many experiences where when I, in my arrogant demeanor, have said, well, it's so obvious to me, Rachel Salas, what you should or shouldn't do, what will many times happen is that the person will yabut me. It's, I call it the yabut syndrome. It's the yabut, 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 yabut. And then when I hear too many yabuts that I'm thinking, you're not, you don't want to hear me, you're not hearing me, or now you're just going to humor me and say, okay, all right, fine, fine, fine. I'll take this nail out of my head, whatever. Yeah, but okay, nail's gone. And the next time you see him, like, oh, that's another little nail in there. <laughs> you know, that they, they just, Went, went ahead and put another nail up in there. Wait, you, you're back in the nail situation. No, I'm not. Yeah, but yeah, but. So I think you're so right in calling that out. That And that, again, psychological, where we're getting kind of really deep here. Um, I don't want to get too deep, but it's the whole thing of when you do things for people, you're not necessarily helping them. But give a fish, teach a fish concept as well. That I, Yeah, I could do a workaround and make this a lot quicker and easier, but you're not learning from it. I'm not learning from it. We're getting it done, but are we really growing? Are we really going to that next level? So I, I love how you you put that that it's um, that that patience and that taking the time to see somebody where they are. That's that's the beauty of coaching. And and folks, if you are interested in coaching, learning more, please go to facultyfactory.org. We're assembling a new team of uh, coaches, and Dr. Rachel Salas is going to be on that coaching team and you can contact her and find her at Rachel Salas MD or email her rsalas3, R-S-A-L-A-S-3 at jhmi.edu. 
Dr. Rachel Salas, parting thoughts are yours. I, I would just put this out there. I think I love to be as transparent as I can be. And I think like somebody might be listening and saying, oh, you know, okay, she's she's certified in this and has done the coaching and has implemented in not only my programs, but also my clinical practice. But I actually have two coaches at the moment. I'm, I do coaching uh, more like for leadership. I'm kind of doing a deeper dive on my like strengths. Um, and so once a month, I have protected time for one hour just to get coaching really around that and my values and, and my, you know, my next steps, not just in my career, but life. And then I have more of a, a professional academic coach. And I think you're going to be interviewing him, Brian Klein, mm-hmm. uh, who is a med ed person up at Brown. And, um, you know, I, 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 I've been able to, I love the different kind of dimension of coaching from him because someone of, as he's a physician, he's a, 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 a certified coach and really kind of can relate to a lot of the issues or things that, you know, I'm thinking about as well. So I just want to put that out there because like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a life journey and, you know, just because you're certified in something, I mean, I'm constantly growing in who I am and, you know, next week I'll be a different person because I'm constantly thinking about, you know, who I am, how can I be better? And I'm really in a growth mindset. And, and if, if Carrie or if Carrie Bischoff, who's my other coach, um, who really um, got me in into uh, strengths or Brian, um, I, 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 this year is all about transformation for me, for sure. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see where I'm going to be this time next year, but I no no matter what it's going to be, it's going to be an adventure and I'm so excited. Wow. It's so obvious. I'm always thrilled talking with you because you are such an inspirational, creative, energetic force. And I thank you for everything you've done for us here at Hopkins and continue to do. And uh, thanks for being in the podcast. Dr. Rachel Salas, folks, I'm sure you loved her as much as I do. Please come back to the Faculty Factory next time. Till then, bye-bye. Hello, Faculty Factory listeners. It's your friendly podcast producer here, Casey Callanan. Just to remind you, if you didn't already know it, the Faculty Factory is now offering coaching. You can learn more by visiting facultyfactory.org coaching. Faculty Factory Coaching is about building a thriving clinical, educational, and research career to be successful beyond all your expectations. Most of all, it's about living a joy-filled life. To learn more about Faculty Factory Coaching, drop us a line over at facultyfactory.org front slash coaching, and you can learn more there. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.